Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're in any kind of crisis, whether it's financial, whether it's domestic abuse, mental health issues, or even if you're just tired and you need someone to talk to, call us, tell us. The amount of times I find out that some of my residents have been suffering because they haven't got enough food in their house to feed themselves and their children, or they've got issues with benefits, or um, they've lost their job and they're trying their best to find another job, but not telling us that they're in that situation. And then they find themselves in court facing eviction and things like that. Can't stress it more. If you're in any problems, tell your housing officer tell them we don't want to evict people it doesn't pay us to evict people if you if we keep you in your property and you pay your rent plus a little bit off the arrears that will maintain us that's fine you are listening to the dope black moms podcast i'm delighted to be here with charmaine bino a council housing officer Having worked in the housing department for 23 years, also a dope black mom, and now we can add published author to the title. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Nina. Grateful you were here. Thank you for joining me. I just wanted to start from the beginning, and I wanted to just understand a little bit about your life, your upbringing, um, what it was like for you growing up. First of all, um, I actually grew up until the age of seven in one room like a lot of my friends and families in the 60s. I was born in 1961, which makes me going on to 61 this year. Do you know what I mean? So I remember those times. Like it was my, my three siblings, my mum and dad. Not my three siblings, my two sisters. That's three of us. My mum and dad in one room in New Cross. Um, to all sense and purposes, when you think back, you think, oh, God, that was such a hard time. How could people live like that? But at that time, it was the norm. Everyone mm. lived like that. We couldn't access um, council housing at that time. It was hard. It was hard for even just women themselves going to access council housing. It was really kind of a male-dominated area. So when eventually my mum, when I was about set, well, about six, seven, she applied on behalf of my dad for council housing. And finally we got somewhere um, under the borough of Lewisham in Sydenham. And it was, oh my God, it was just like walking into Beverly Hills, even though it was a council house. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're coming from like one bedroom where everybody has to share the amenities you yeah. have to put two shillings in the, the the meter to get hot water. And if you didn't do it that way, you had a tin bath in the room with a paraffin heater and everybody took turns to get in the bath. Me, because I was the eldest, I got there first. So I never got that leftover water like my two sisters. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. coming from that and then actually going into a brand new property, because we were the first people in there, to a three-bedroom, wow. two-toilet, one-bathroom, front room. Do you know what I mean? Going into that, it was like, my God, this yeah. is a Hollywood movie. So you and had like, your own bedroom? 
well, at first, it was just it was me and my sisters shared because right, right, we were still right. young. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But still, we weren't in the same room as our parents. Yeah. This is right. space. This is room. Oh, my God. Oh, this freedom. All this room. Do you know what I mean? To have all our toys and clothes. And it was just our own little world that we could shut the door on, which you couldn't do in one room. Do you know what I mean? And I didn't really notice that when we were living in that one room until we got to our new house. Mm. That's how people actually lived. And I remember saying to my mum, and I think I put that in the book as well, I said to my mum, who do we share the bathroom with? And I remember saying that at seven because I didn't didn't have the concept that nobody else was going to live in there except for us. Yeah. And I I remember my mum laughing. She goes, it's for us. Running up and down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was it was heaven do you know what I mean and then yeah. outside you saw lots of green grass and other families and other kids because the only time we'd like get to see other kids in that kind of arena is like with our families our cousins and stuff like that mm. go to the park to see grass do you know what I mean I know it sounds really like backward but that was our life and this time you'd walk out of our front door and saw grass and saw mm. other children coming out of houses and playing with you. Do you know what I mean? So it was, oh, it was fantastic. So you definitely remember life before seven and life after seven. That's a clear distinction. Oh, definitely, for you. definitely. Do you know what I mean? And growing up in New Cross, I mean, all my cousins, there were a lot of cousins nearby. And it was a lot, it was a happy time for me. So I'd remember those things, do you know what I mean? I mean, I can remember the arguments my mum and dad would have. And I didn't realise at the time it was because of the the constraints of where they were living in and money and all of that. But as a kid, you're hearing it, but you're not understanding it. And then you're just going on your merry little way. Mm. Just hoping Mm. you get some sweets or you get a toy or that was, that was your life. You weren't thinking about what they were going through. You didn't think yes. about that till later on. Do you know what I mean? Of course, of course. They're real people. You That's know, it. It, it feels, you know, different. I totally understand. From then, how did you find yourself working in social housing? Oh, gosh. Well, a lot of personal things happened that I don't really want to go into. Of course. But um, I found when I had my daughter... Because I got told that I couldn't have any children. So this miracle happened. And I had this child who's like 28 now. (laughs) And um, after I had her, I used to work in the city. And you know, that's an old boys club. Mm -hmm. And at that time, they had no sympathy whatsoever for mothers. Nothing whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? So where I I kind of worked, um, doing like um, a lot more of like accounts and nostril reconciliations and stuff like that, you couldn't go until the books were were completed and everything totaled. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes I'd be in the bank till about 11 o'clock. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, after I had my daughter, I said, I can't go back to that. Yeah. Because it would be hard trying to get somebody to look after my daughter, a lot of other things. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, well, what can I do which can be flexible for me and I can actually try and help somebody? Do you know what I mean? And a, a, quite a few of my friends were working in social housing and they like were telling me, oh, try to go into work for the council. They're really good. They're very flexible, especially with uh, mothers, um, with kids and stuff like that. And I thought, all right then. So I went to a temp agency that was connected to Southwark Council, got myself on the books, 
I think I was only on the books for about two, three months before I had an interview. And I had an interview as an arrears officer to deal with um, rent arrears. Right. And um, after my interview, I thought, oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to get it. But because I had transferable skills is what I was told afterwards. And the way I could communicate effectively, they thought I'd be really good for the housing officer role. So I went in initially, supposedly for the arrears officer, ended up being a housing officer for three, four months as a temp, went back to doing rents, and then about two years later, applied again for housing officer, and that's where I was. And here we are. And here we are. Okay. So now, flash forward to published author. God. Did you ever? I know. Never, I never thought that that would be part of my CV. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing. So many people would think I want to write a book. You actually thought about it and did it whilst working, whilst adulting, whilst living, everything else you're doing. So, how did how did that come about? And and how does it feel having kind of what must feel like a baby? out in the world? Well, first of all, I was in the council house, Britain, that was um, shown for on Channel 4. Yes. They, they asked me if I'd be part of it, so I thought, yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? So, as far as I'm concerned, with a lot of people, really, nobody really knew about housing officers. A lot of people still didn't even know housing officers existed, and those who do didn't really know what we did. What you did day to day, yeah. That's it. So I thought, you know what, I'll do that. Even if they show a snippet of what we do, maybe they'll get an idea. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of people tend to think housing officers, when they do know who you are, are the face of the council. They think mm-hmm. you can change everything. They think you're the CEO. They think you're higher <laughs> than the prime minister. Do you know what I mean? They really haven't got a sense of, really, we're officers of instruction. We have procedures and policies that we have to follow. So... But when people are going through their problems, they're not thinking about that, which is reasonable, which is understandable. Do you know what I mean? So I thought, well, once they did this show, they would get it. And then we did the show. And then um, I think it was a year after it was shown, I think come to January, I caught COVID. So Mm. I was off work for about two, three months because it was really bad. And during that time, I was just looking on LinkedIn you know what I mean? Just lying in my bed, just thinking, God, where's my life going to? What can I do now? I want to carry on helping people. Is there something else out there for me? You know, those kind of whimsical thoughts you have. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And then I saw um, a publisher actually approached me, asking me. Uh, on LinkedIn? On LinkedIn. Amazing. Yeah, asking me if I ever thought about writing a book. And I thought, no, I hadn't. Well, now you say it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, okay, that sounds good. And it just like went from there. That is fantastic. I know. Then I started remembering because when we're doing the job, when you talk to my colleagues, Mm. we don't, after we've done what we've had to do, we move on to the next one. So we don't necessarily remember everything we do. Mm. And then I had to start going back 23 years. And how was that? Was that painful? Was it therapeutic? I think it was more therapeutic than anything else because mm-hmm. we take it for granted. We just do things to help people. We just want everybody yeah. to have a better um, quality of life, no matter how small 
the thing is that we do for them. Do you know what I mean? So you don't really take it on board. You don't take any, I don't know, I don't look for the satisfaction. I just look to deal with that person or that family and to just get them moving on. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then when I started looking back, and I thought, my God, I have changed a few people's lives. I have done something different. I'm sure more than a few. You absolutely have. You absolutely have. What an amazing thing to look back on. That's beautiful that you can do that. And now you've got it obviously solidified in a book. So the, the book is called The Estate, My Life Working on the Frontline of Britain's Housing Crisis. So it's out now available everywhere books are sold. That is a really direct title, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Straight I mean, we came up with loads of different things, but um, I think it was the publishers actually mm. thought, said, what about this title? I thought, you know what, that one's good. It's just direct. Direct. And that's the kind of person I am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think and yeah, that's good. Really adding in the word crisis, I think, is is key that you've got it in there. How do you think we got here to this state of crisis? Oh, well, I mean, my personal opinion is I think a lot of it had to do with the right to buy. Right. I mean, personally, I think I'm, I'm not against the right to buy. Everybody's entitled to own their own home. But council housing was invented for those who couldn't afford to buy their homes, who were on low wages or no wages, do you know what I mean? Who lived mm-hmm. a different type of life to a lot of the upper middle class people and I think yes it's good if you can buy your own home and me personally I would have just put it to houses or conversions things that were on streets but the estates themselves I think should have been left without people trying to buy that do you know what I mean because a lot of the times you've got um uh, residents who are buying leasehold properties and they're the they're um service charges sometimes can be crippling or if you've got major works can be crippling for them do you know what I mean I know their aspiration is to own their own property and I don't put that down at all like I said everybody's entitled to have that but then you have to think about all the people who are waiting to get on a housing list and we have a good proportion of of properties that have been bought do you know what I mean it takes away the people who who are still waiting to get a flat, to get mm-hmm. a property. So I think myself, this is a personal thing for me, I think the issue was there wasn't a cap on the the right to buy. And plus, when um, we do um, sell the properties onto residents, the government only give us a small proportion of that money back, a small proportion. Do you know what I mean? So, and at one time... Um, all local authorities weren't allowed to build. We had to try and maintain that ageing stock we had. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of things were put in front of us to stop us going where we needed to go. If they hadn't have done that, I think we would have been a lot farther than we were. And I think a lot more people would be housed now. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because just before the, the right to buy and all that came in, even in Southwark, we had hard-to-let properties, if you can believe that. We had properties that... We couldn't even give away. That's now, amazing. That's it. Yeah. And now we don't have that issue. We haven't got pro- properties to give to anyone. Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's really hard. I mean, Southwark are really good because out of all the local authorities, we're building the most new properties as much as we can. 
Do you know what I mean? So we're very progressive in that in that respect. But then when you look at all the local authorities, everybody really has got an issue. It's finding land, it's trying to get the money together, it's the funding, and a lot of our funding has been cut by the government. And as always, it's the vulnerable people that suffer. And yeah. as a housing officer, we're the ones who have to deal with the vulnerable people who are still waiting to move on, who are in overcrowded situations, people who are in temporary accommodation. Do you know what I mean? The money is being used in a in a way where it shouldn't be. We, we should be using more money for building, but we can't do that because we've got a lot of people who right now haven't got anywhere to live. So we've got to be putting them in temporary accommodation or helping them in regards to finding private landlords, do you know what I mean, dealing with procurements and stuff like that. So it's really hard. Mm. And, I mean, those are some of the things that maybe the bigger changes that we can think about, which are long-term changes. Is is there anything that we could all, anybody listening, that we could do today, any small action, anything that would make a difference right now? It just seems so desperate, the situation. It seems so... uh overwhelming the thing is it is overwhelming it is desperate it is a crisis but I don't know what the solution could be right now Mm. I mean I know that oh I've got one solution I think we've got loads of buildings or all these corporations have got loads of these empty um office office blocks that they're not using and my thing is always about why they empty is this a tax break or something do you know what I mean or some of those um private developers building like mini estates or uh, compounds with empty, empty flats and houses. Why can't they just turn it over to the local authority and just take a ground rent from them? Because they're empty. Mm. They're not dead. There's no one living in there. They've got properties that they say is affordable. Affordable to who? No, it's not affordable. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, I get a good wage. I couldn't afford those properties. No, they're not. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I really think that the government needs to look at that because those empty office blocks, they've got all the amenities in there. All they have to say, these corporations, is, all right, to the local authorities, you pay us a ground rate every year. The same money you're going to take to go and build um, new new properties or try find the land for the properties, take our buildings, redo them inside so they can cater for people who need to live somewhere. Why can't they do that? 
And then those private developers who have these empty so-called affordable properties, hand them over to local authorities, take a ground rent off of them. Do you know what I mean? Or get a proportion of the rent, the, the normal social rent from the, the, the um, residents that are going to go in there to maintain yourselves. There's always a solution. So why can't they do that? Mm. And I assume they're just holding out for more money or they're holding out for... What are they holding out for? Look at look mm. at the standard of living now. Look at look at the, the increase in, in our living. I mean, it's gone yeah. from eleven percent. They're thinking it's going up to thirteen percent. No one's got money. Not even the middle no. classes. No one. So who's going to afford to buy a one bedroom flat for four hundred thousand pounds? Come on. And those four hundred thousand pound one bedroom flats are empty. So isn't it better to put somebody in there with a social rent and then the developers get like, I don't know, 25% of that rent? At least they're getting something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, I believe that the whole world is a community. We're all human beings. Do you know what I mean? We have to help each other, otherwise we're not going to survive. Look what's happening now, all these wars over what? pieces of land that don't belong to anybody the world does not belong to anyone we are guardians of this earth and that's what i think people are failing to understand it's a multiracial world we all have to live in it together so try and be nice to each other try and accommodate each other try and ensure everybody eats everybody has a roof over their heads why can't that be the, the statement of the world. Why can't it be? Oh, wouldn't that be glorious? Oh my God! In a nice world. But, if, but haven't I you know. haven't you realised that everybody who's been starting the wars? And I don't want to sound like a sexist, but they're all men. <laughs> this this ego trip they're all on. I hear you with the ego, definitely. Ego is probably childhood trauma, childhood issues. There's a lot of got childhood to. issues. Yeah, no. They want to have a war because they want a piece of a country that the country doesn't want them. Why would you do that? Yeah. Well, that's definitely ego. Absolutely. Yeah. Ego status. Absolutely. I think more women should start leading their countries. They're more caring. They're more looking for the future. Because this is what we're leaving our children and my grandson, do you know what I mean? We're leaving our grandchildren this. All the icebergs are melting. When we're dead and gone, our kids are here, our grandchildren are here. What have we left them? Nowhere to live, not enough food, no money. Oh, that's such a legacy. Mm, It's depressing. Yes, and who's proud of that? Not me. I know. Just wanted to touch on something you spoke about in the book yeah um and you mentioned you were signed off for two months due to burnout yeah four and, and, a, half, talk- four and a half months actually four and a half months so yeah. as you're talking and you're talking about the day-to-day challenges and just how much you're dealing with people who are struggling to cope they're finding it hard they're, they're having struggling to keep a roof over their head going into that burnout about four and a half months did you see, could you see that coming? Were you just in it and then suddenly signed off, collapsed or kind of whatever happened? To- I didn't, I didn't see it coming because at the mm. time 
I was an income team leader. So I had like five people, five officers under me. And there was another income team leader. It was both of us. We had like 10 in total. And I was also, I, am, I still am a union rep and health and safety rep. And we were going for reorganisation. And my job was getting deleted. And so at the same time that I was trying to deal with the income team leaders, and there was about 12 of us trying to sort out, trying to not get our jobs deleted. I was dealing with a lot of other people in um, in our department, in the housing department, who were being, um, with their jobs being deleted and being moved over to other posts and other departments and having to go to them with their interviews and having to deal with deal, do a deal, deal with um, DLCs, which is a department liaison committees, which is the union and the heads of departments that meet. So I had to deal with that and I had to deal with my job still going on. Mm. Then I had my own problems, do you know what I mean? Own personal issues going on. So that was just going on every day, every day. And the thing is, you get to a point where you're just on autopilot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it got to a point, and I did say in the book, that I was actually sitting at my desk and the computer, I was looking at the computer, but not even really looking at it, just looking at the frame of it. Do you know what I mean? All these emails were coming up and I wasn't reading anything. And I remember my area manager came past and he said, oh, Charmaine, how are you today? And I said, oh, I said, you know when you have no more space in your brain? And he kind of looked at me and I remember him looking at me like spaced out. He didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> and he just said, oh, okay then. And just wandered <laughs> off. Do you know what I mean? And I just went back to watching this computer. But it just felt a bit like the computer was watching me. And then when my officers were coming to ask things, I would answer them, tell them what they needed to do and go back to watching this computer. I couldn't think. Mm-hmm. I just could I don't know how to explain it. I just there was nothing, nothing. It was just full up in there and it was just so full that I couldn't think anymore. So uh, after that had happened, the next day I woke up and I just felt tired and I thought, oh, I'm just tired and maybe I'm just run down. So I just called in sick for two days and I thought I'd be all right on the third day. But come the third day, I was just even more tired and I thought, you know what, let me go to the doctor and get myself signed off for the week. I went to the doctor and I sat down, a nice lady, and um, I told her, oh, I need to be signed off. I'm just really tired and I just can't get out of this tired feeling. And she, I remember her putting down her pen and she turned around and faced me in one of those swivel chairs. And all she said to me was, Charmaine, how are you? Aww. And I looked at her and I said, I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm just really tired. And she goes, no. How are you? How do you feel? What's been happening? And I looked at her, and it's like the floodgates opened. But I wasn't weeping, you know, like, oh, God, Mm -hmm. it was just that all this water was coming out of my eyes. And I was just like, I was saying to her, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm just wiping all... She goes, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. She goes, tell me what's going on. I goes, oh, no. I said, you've got too many people sitting outside waiting, waiting to see you. She goes... Don't worry about them. She goes, tell me what's been happening. I don't know what she saw for her Mm. to say that to me. Do you know what I mean? Maybe she's an empath or something. I don't know. And then I started saying it to her, telling, she said, what do you do? And I told her what I did. 
for a living and she asked me what does that entail what's been happening at work recently and stuff like that and then asking me other things other personal things and whatever and it was just like the floodgates I was crying yeah. and I was talking and I think I must have been in there for about a good 15 20 minutes just rabbiting it was like it's like mm. like oh I don't like to use this word but vomiting it was just like yeah. it was just all coming out and she said I'm going to sign you off she said Charmaine you're suffering with stress and yeah. I said to her, but I don't, I don't suffer with stress. She goes, there's two different types of stress. Yeah. Right. And she goes, and you're not suffering with a good type. And I goes, well, because I know one, one time I did say to her that one of my friends had died and I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was unhappy that she'd gone, but I just didn't feel that I needed to cry and mourn her. I just didn't feel anything. So she said to me, what happens is your emotions get to the point we will shut down if it doesn't shut down she said you will have a nervous breakdown she said you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown and that frightened me Mm -hmm. and I thought what because of my job and I love my job don't get me wrong do you know what I mean and I really loved it at that time even though we were going through things and I thought this is this is not good do you know what I mean so she signed me off initially for two weeks and I had to keep going back. Then the end, she signed off for a month, then another month. Do you know what I mean? Until I thought I felt I was ready to go back. But her her thing was, when you finish with me, she goes, go home and do what you normally do, which I told her is I sit, I go home, I sit down in the front room, turn on the telly, and I let the telly watch me. I'm not even looking at it. I'm, it's watching me. Do you know what I mean? Because I just couldn't function. I, in the end, I, I started to have to function because at that time, my daughter was still quite young. Yeah. So I'd do the auto-robot stuff and not make her see what I was going through because it's not her fault. She doesn't have to see that. Do you know what I mean? But I did that for about four and a half months. Wow. So, But I didn't ever, never in my life thought I would be in that situation where like my job could have killed me if you know what I'm saying mentally yeah yeah totally just every single ounce of you I mean that's obviously what it takes for me and that's what you give to it yeah yeah taking a lot does you're dealing with your problems and you're dealing with your residents problems yeah. And they have a lot of issues, a lot of challenges. And it's got to go somewhere, hasn't it? You're, you're listening and absorbing these things. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. But the thing is, it comes home with me. And it's, the same, it's not only me, it's my colleagues as well. It's the same thing. You're so scared that you're going to miss something. These are human beings you're dealing with. But mm. when you go home, in your sleep, you're still thinking, damn, I've got to do this tomorrow and I've got to do that. I mean, loads of times we're all waking up in the middle of the night writing down something to remind us the next day, I've got to go and see this person. I've got to do safeguarding for this person. I've got to um, do um, a referral to social services for this person. I've got to see this vulnerable person because I haven't spoken to them for two days. They need to, I hope to God they're still alive. And you've got all these things. And I've got 700 tenancies. And so it can equate to anything to two to 3,000 people, which includes all the children and stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? So you're not, it's not just, I'm a representative of the landlord and I must make sure where you live is in 
is health and safety compliant. It's not just about that. It's about seeing what's going on in that home and understanding what the needs are of these people and signposting them and fighting their corner to get the things that they need. So it's a lot of things. And you end up being a welfare worker, a social worker, a counsellor, a friend. Do you know what I mean? A priest, I can imagine. Yeah, everything. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. Do you have any advice for mothers that are listening that might be in some of the situations that we've been talking about, maybe struggling? Um, Any advice on what steps you could take? The first thing that I keep stating, and all of us do, all my colleagues, is if you're in any kind of crisis, if you're in any kind of situation, whether it's financial, whether it's domestic abuse, whether it's a, a mental health issue, anything, or even if you're just tired and you need someone to talk to, call us, tell us. I, the amount of times I find out that some of my residents have been suffering because they haven't got enough food in their house to feed themselves and their children, or they've got issues with benefits, or um, they've lost their job and they're trying their best to find another job, but not telling us that they're in that situation. And then they find themselves in court facing eviction and things like that. The one thing we keep telling them, and I can't stress it more, if you're in any problems, tell your housing officer. Tell them. We don't want to evict people. It doesn't pay us to evict people. If you if we keep you in your property and you pay your rent plus a little bit off the arrears, uh, that will maintain us. That's fine. But if you're sitting in there struggling, I can't help you. Mm. If you don't tell me, I can't help you. We have so much access to so many different departments, so many different agencies that we will direct you to or we will help you get there. But until you tell us, we can't do anything. That's my biggest advice to to everyone. Speak. Speak. I I suppose some people are, are there just... What, feeling embarrassed? Listen, pride comes before a fall. Mm. My mum and my grandma always told me that, right? Pride has no place when you need to survive, when you need Mm. to look after yourself and your children. There is no pride. Do you understand? You will be a proud mother when you ask for help. You will not be judged. I do not judge anyone. I've been there. I've been in a lot more situations than I care to even talk about. So I know, and a lot of my colleagues, well, practically all of my colleagues, we can empathise because the majority of us have been there. It's really funny when you're sitting in front of somebody and they say to you, you'll never understand, you're sitting there living in a big house, you've had such a good life, you don't know my past. Do you know what I mean? Don't assume that you know me. So when you're talking to me, telling me about your issues, believe me, probably at 50% of whatever you've been through, I've been through, I've done it, or I've helped somebody else who's gone through it. So don't assume that. But if Mm -hmm. you need help before you find yourself in dire situations, go to the one person initially that can start that ball rolling. Go to your housing officer. Mm-hmm. A lot of my residents have come to me through their kids being exploited through gangs, 
I've got, got people with domestic abuse, people with mental health issues. I've signposted. I've fought their corner. I've got them moved because of certain situations that were dangerous. I've done that. And so have my colleagues. So we can help you. As long as you don't ask us to put you in Buckingham Palace, right? And it's... And it's you can't do that now. You can't do that now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the normal average things to maintain your life, we can start that ball rolling. But you need to talk to us. Don't be embarrassed. Don't. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. No problem. Talk. Talk it out. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. That's not a problem at all. Don't flat mums. If you'd like to join the Don't Black Mums private Facebook group, please search Don't Black Mums on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Don't Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.